Amen. So let's look at Zechariah today. First, as we see in verse 1, we see that a man, Zechariah, wrote this book. And there's nothing really important to say here, but Zechariah is a priest, and he is someone who is in a position where he can meet with the king and also meet with the high priest. And so I believe that if I say this much, that you would understand what position he is in. And so let's look at the historical background. Zechariah is someone who wrote in BC 580 to 570. And he's someone who ministered and prophesied at the same time. And he prophesied for a short time and then afterwards he's never mentioned again. Oh, wait, uh, someone was short, but he has prophesied for a long time. And uh, I talk about the structure of this book. Verse, chapter 1 through 6 are these visions, these visions that he sees and the prophecies of those visions. And so these visions are really important to the prophecies. And so that's why I emphasize these. And I'm not uh, interpreting these. I'm just literally saying like the time. And then chapter 7 and 8 is in BC 508, 508, BC 508. And then 9 to 14 is prophecies from BC 570 to 580. And so it's divided into these three sections. Chapter 1 through 6, 7 and 8, and then chapter 9 to 14. And there are prophecies during different times of his ministry, and so they're uh, interpreted in different ways. They're, they're unraveled in different ways. And so he begins his prophecy with Haggai. And so in 520, uh, three months later, he starts to minister with Haggai. And this year of a, a BC 520 is really important in the history of Israel. It's when Daniel started his ministry. Anyways, many prophecies us were active during this time. And on top of, during that time was when Zerubbabel went back and built. And it was this time where God was preparing his, his people to return. And so that's why BC 520 is really important in the history of Israel. And so this King Darius is not the same King Darius that's described in the book of Daniel. Okay, uh, Darius in the book of Daniel is a, is a descendant of Cyrus. 
but this Darius is the fourth king of Media. And so from 536 to 520 is when they're getting ready for the return of the exile. And, and so remember, around in the 530s, they went back to Jerusalem and started building the temple, but they stopped, right? And so, and so it's this time after they've been stopped building. And then they'll begin once again during the reign of Darius. Uh, and then in four years, the, the temple gets completed. And so it's during this urgent time that that's what I want to describe. And And so remember that the Persian king of kings controlled a lot of land, 120 satraps, starting from Europe going to India. And how did he reign? He reigned by entrusting these various satraps to various regions, and he would go touring around them. And so during this time was a time of difficulty for Israel. It was a time of famine. And there were many con artists, and so much struggle, much difficulty. And there was great strife going on in Israel right now. And so there was this question of who was the remnant, those who remained in Israel or those who were taken into exile. And then also there was a lot of struggle with, with the authorities in Samaria. And they were uh, mixed with syncretism. And so with this background, Zechariah is writing this book, this, this, this prophecy. And so let's look at today's text. So from verse 2 to 6 is the introduction. So let's look at this introduction. And so first in verse 2, we see that the Lord is very angry with their fathers. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. And so it's not just simply saying that oh, it was only in the past. But rather he's explaining this to tell how this past event has influenced to this present day. And so he's saying that I was angry with them and there was yet no change. But, or no, no, that there was change. And so remember that as children of God, we are called to change constantly, to continually grow and change. And so the world may say that, the, that life can, will be the same and, and does not change. But as I always say, remember, like regarding your family bindings, you should not be focused on on, on wow this is so difficult but rather what you should focus on is why you're unable to break through what's keeping you from breaking through and going beyond that right think about it you did not sin 
and 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 it's not just simply that oh I never sinned and my because of the sins of my grandfather that 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 I'm suffering. No, you have welcomed part of it. You have accepted a part of it. That's why. Is my wickedness, my iniquity, not 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 the sins of my forebears, right? Remember, sin is only sin when you choose that sin. As it says in Romans 5, that we were speaking about Jesus as man, right? That even Jesus himself, there, he could have chosen sin. And so, and so if I don't choose that sin and yet it flows, it's not sin to me. So this is something that we need to be clear on, amen? That, oh, I didn't do anything wrong and yet God is um, making me pay for the immorality? No, that's not the case. Now, of course, it began with your grandfather, maybe. Oh, but actually, honestly, more being more real, it started with Adam, right? It started with Adam. Adam began with death, right? And so Adam failed, and in that place of failure, that's why God sent Jesus Christ. But what, what I'm trying to say to you is you cannot blame anyone else. There's no one else to blame. And so when I talk about your familial line, the bindings over your familial line, I'm not telling you to blame your fathers or your forefathers. I'm just saying what is have a foothold over your life. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? And so when I first began believing in Jesus Christ, I started to see these spirits surfacing. And I could see the immorality, the root of my immorality went all the way back in time to the kingdom of Sheila. That's 2,000 years ago. And because I am of that royal blood, and so my immorality uh, reigns over history, not not just over history, but over the over over the these great palaces and castles. And, and it's not that because they sinned that I have this sin. No, it's because I received that influence. And so when I talk about the past, it's because that past influences me today. That's why that past is brought up. Okay, that's why God is bringing up the past. He's not just simply speaking of the past. Okay. That always oh, because I met my mother, I met with the wrong mother. That's why I'm failing this way. No, that's not the case. Are you going to say that to God? Is that going to be your defense? That I met the wrong mother? That I met the wrong father? No. God is talking about you. And so, and so, look, uh, sorry, one moment. And so right now, he's not bringing up the past to bring up the past, but rather he's asking them to repent. And so look at verse 3. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. And so he's saying return, shub, to repent, right? And so as long as, no matter what kind of familiar bindings we may have, when we repent, it solves everything. That if we receive that righteousness, it's finished, it's game over. And so when we, have you felt this? It's when you were saved, right? When you were saved, that was probably the pinnacle of that feeling. That the moment you repented of your sins, you felt the power of that blood washing over you and cleansing you, amen? And so when you received that righteousness, think about where you were. Ah, uh, that I was originally the son of God, but through sin I became a beggar. 
but I have reclaimed my righteousness, my right. And so the moment I receive God's righteousness, that I, I am being once again restored, reclaiming what was originally mine. And so the reason why you live like beggars in the midst of sin is because you believe in, in the deception, in the lies of the devil, thinking that you are a beggar. Think about it. You are a prince. And the prince has these servants, right? Sorry, one moment. Okay, it's about your identity, right? You need to know who you are. And that's what righteousness is about. Righteousness is talking about who you are. And so that, that is what repentance is all about. It's not about asking for forgiveness and, re and, and finding something new, but rather coming back to where you originally were. Coming back to yourself. That is repentance. Okay, look at the emperors of China. They never stepped on the bare ground. And whenever, wherever they went, immediately there would be a red carpet pour, or put, put out before them. And, right? and that's what's before you. There is this red carpet wherever you go. That if that carpet doesn't come before you, you don't step on that ground. It needs to be laid out before you for you to step, right? Amen? That is your nobility. That is your dignity. Amen? And so if you believe, you should say amen loudly, proudly. Okay, that's how dignified you are. Amen? When you know who you are, then you have this fundamental authority of a prince. When you truly receive who you are, then you have the power to be able to live out that identity. The moment... The moment you receive sin, you are turning away from that identity. You are turning away from that being. The reason why you have no power is because you're unable to believe in this amazing, righteous work of God. Amen? And so Shub, return, the fact that they returned is saying that return to yourself, O Israel. So repentance isn't, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, that's not repentance. Now, of course, you do confess your sins and say you are sorry, but, but that's not the principle. The principle is, Lord, I am your son, and yet I failed to live out that identity. That's what repentance is. And so this is the characteristic of those who live holy lives, and yet when they sin, what they do... Because look, a beggar becoming a little bit more dirty, that's not a big event, right? But let's say that you are a prince and you have the finest of things. What is Satan going to do? Well, their characteristic is that they have anger towards Satan whenever Satan makes them fall. Right? They have this righteous fury that wait, I'm going to get my revenge, I'm going to trample on you, that I'm going to pay you back tenfold. And so the one who has this righteous fury against the devil, you are living correctly. But if you sin, and oh, of course, I sin once again, oh, what can I do about it? No, this, this means you are not in the right place. And so this is how important this is, amen, your identity. 
And so, theologically speaking, what is repentance? Repentance isn't just simply asking for forgiveness. No, that's not it. But everything that He has unraveled for you, everything that He has given you, all that glory is moving once again inside of you. That is repentance. That, you, that you're able to live out the authority and power that is given you. And so, for example, the blood circulating inside of you, and so purifying you, refining you. And that the Holy Spirit, who is He? He is who leads you from glory to glory. His Word moves inside of you. His Spirit moves inside of you. That's what repentance is. That is the power of repentance. And so in your Christianity, in your faith life, then what does it mean? It means you are being renewed every day, repenting every day. And so look, if you have never tasted this deep repentance, then when I say being changed every day, it's going to be so unimaginable to you. You won't understand what I'm talking about. That you need to change every day, that you need to be renewed every day. You're going to be like, what are you talking about, Pastor? That, that I'm, I feel the same today and yesterday. That nothing changes, right? That I still have sin. And if there is change, that sin is just growing bigger. <laughs> right? And, and so you, won't, you don't know. You won't be able to know. Then I'll ask you, why are you looking at the Word of God then? Right? And you should go to a Buddhist temple rather than to find peace. But think about it. You have the name of God inside of you. How glorious is it that we live with God? How, what great privilege it is that He has given us this authority. Amen? And so for the past 30 years, uh, maybe except for the very first moments I met with God, but, but apart from that short time, I never worried about money even once. Not even once did I cry over money. Okay, when I sent my wife to Costa Rica for two weeks, I was never lonely for even a moment. Now, there were times where I wanted to see her, but I was not lonely. Okay? There's a difference. There's a difference between being lonely and wanting to see her, right? But really, I was not lonely. Okay, Pastor Chong, um, he's probably being... Um, Lonely whenever he whenever he's not with his wife, but really, not for a moment was I ever lonely. It's not because I'm excellent, no, but because of who God is and who God is in me. That's how God raised me for the past thirty years, and so I have no fear. That ever since I met with him, I didn't worry about what people think. I didn't care how what people thought of me or how I needed to rely on people. No. Ever since I met with God, the riches of His kingdom was unraveled before my eyes. What worries do I have? And so, don't think of this as it's because of my privilege or I'm excellent. No, this is the image of the men of God. It's not some special privilege given to me. I'm not talking about some special privilege. No, whoever it is, if you have the name of God inside of you, you will live like this. That's what the Bible says. This Bible is a record of these kinds of people. 
right? Even look at Peter. In the face of death, he could sleep at peace, right? And that should also characterize you. And so if you met with God properly, then this would arise inside of you. This isn't a special privilege. No, this is so normal and normal and normal. It's so ordinary and so... So maybe that's why you might fall into despair because of how ordinary it is. But oh, pastor says it's so ordinary and I can't even come close to that ordinary. No, 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 no. It's about what, it's, it's about the word of God, faith in the word of God. Look at the Bible. It says, do not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, right? And so why worry? Why worry if you don't even have to be worrying about these basic necessities of life? And so that's this because, why do you worry? Because you have not had this true dependent repentance before God, receiving His fullness. So listen carefully, brothers. Those who fear, repent. Those who worry, repent. Those who are lonely, repent. There's no reason to be lonely. I'm not saying you don't need your wife, you don't need your children. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what this is. It's that in God, in God, you can love your wife more. You can love your children more. That because of Him, you love more. That He is the Good Shepherd, right? And so, saints, brothers, do you not believe? Say amen, if you believe. (laughs) Okay, let's continue. Okay, one thing that I love about South America is that when I preach, they respond so well. But look, when it comes to response, when you say amen, you are agreeing with that word. You're saying, yes, that word is true. And when you say that, the anointing starts to circulate and move. But in Korea, when I preach, I don't know. Are they, are they being blessed? Are they receiving grace? Are they activating? I don't know. Okay. It's kind of like this. It feels like this, that you're saying to me, speak, I'll listen. Okay, I think I'm an apostle to the nations. I, I cannot stay in Korea. Okay, let's continue. But then I'm a Korean, so what can I do? I got to preach to Koreans, right? So let's look. Verse 4. And so he's saying that the fathers did not return, right? So do not be like your fathers. And so look, look at the wickedness of people is that instead of imitating the goodness of their fathers, they imitate the wickedness. They imitate the bad things. Look, there are many ways I could talk about faith. But especially from this perspective, faith is kind of like a filter. That when you live in faith, it filters out the wickedness. Everything you do outside of faith is a pathway, is a vessel for evil to come in. Right? What is the difference between judgment and and oh this is it's judgment and judgment but one is kind of judgment in faith and the other is judgment because I think I judge them you know 
I don't know if there's a different word in English, but judge and judge. Um, huh? Uh, condemn, condemn, right? Judgment and condemn. What? Yeah, condemnation, right? What's the difference between judgment and condemnation? One is in faith and the other is just my thoughts. And when you condemn people, right? You, you right? For example, your father. You, you look at your father and you condemn him. You judge him. You, but you, when you grow up, you end up just like him because you're receiving that wickedness. But that's the difference because judgment is in faith, and as it has, is in faith, it, it comes out and it filters. It filters out that wickedness. This is really important. And so, for example, when you look at First John two thirteen or fifteen. It says that the things of the faith are the things of the flesh belong to um, are the things of the eyes belong to the things of the flesh, right? And so, and so, it's talking about these desires of the flesh. The desires of your eyes is is the vessel for those things outside to stimulate your fleshly desires. And so, because your eyes are filtering in all this wickedness, your your evil desires are stirred up. And so when you look, you are committing sin. That is the old self-state. But what does it mean that you are living in faith then? That it means that you are filtering out these wickedness that's outside. And so when you can filter out that outside wickedness, that allows you to deal with the wickedness that's inside of you. If you are open to the evilness that's outside, you cannot touch the wickedness that's inside of you. And so wherever you look in the Bible, the Bible says, declares that you are righteous wherever you look in the Bible. But the only way that the righteous can live is by what? Is by faith. And so why are you righteous? Because you live in faith. And what does it mean to live in righteousness? It means you have not one sin. And how can you live that way? In faith, you maintain that state. And so that's where righteousness comes. And so if we are sensitive to wickedness, that's evidence that you are not living in faith. If you are very sensitive to evil outside the world. And so let's continue. Verse 4. To whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts. Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did, uh, uh, yeah, so return. And so if you repent, what happens? You, re you flee from evil ways. And so evil ways and evil deeds is a common phrase used throughout the prophets. It's not just Zechariah, but all the prophets of the Old Testament, this is what they proclaim, right? This is what they shout to return from your evil days and from your evil ways. And not just the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, that's what you see is repent, return from your evil ways. And what is evil in the Bible? What is evil? Evil, evil, right, is fundamentally, how can we interpret evil as living in yourself, living out of the self, 
right? This is the overall principle of the Bible. And so no matter how good of a man you may be, if you are living out of your self-ego, out of yourself, then what are you, where are you going to? What is coming out of you? It's all evil. It's all wickedness. Those who live in themselves, out of themselves, is wickedness. It's evil. And so wherever you look in Christianity, in your faith, uh, you cannot be self-centered, but you are focused on others. Because when you live for yourself, right, it's not possible to live in faith. If you are living, right, you cannot live for yourself. You need to die to yourself. But that's impossible if you're living for yourself, right? Is it possible? Is it easy? No. Can everything be... Oh, sorry, one moment. Okay, but what makes it possible for you to die to yourself? It's because God opened the way. He made it possible to you. And so, how is this possible? It's when you're continually maintaining the Word of God inside of you. And so, if you look at Deuteronomy, what does God say to the Israelites? What command does He give? He says, put my word on your forehead, on your, my arm, on your pockets, in your, in your waist, on the doorpost, on your roof. Everywhere you look, that the word of God would surround you. That you would be uh, immersed in the word of God. That is the method to not live by yourself, out of yourself. And so all you have to do is believe. That's how easy it is. What do you believe? What, as it says in Galatians 2.20, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and that his blood has come inside of you and has paid the price for you. That because he loved you, out of his love, he provided his son for you as the propitiation for your sins. And all you have to do now is live in faith in that. Amen? And so he has dealt with death once for all. And so all I have to do believe is that his death is my death. As it says in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, what does it say? It says that when we die to the self, that it kills the bait of the secular within me. And who uses that secular? Satan. And so because that self is dead, I am free from that secular and Satan. That is the evidence of the power of the blood inside of you. And so the, what does it mean that that blood is moving inside of you? That all the merits of Jesus Christ is 100% available to you. And so if you believe this, then it becomes impossible to live out of yourself, out of your strength. It's impossible for you to do out of your own things. It's impossible out of you to live for you out of your potential, out of your preparation, out of your studies. And so if you keep still living by your thoughts, by your strength, what does that mean? It means that this word has yet to become part of your character. That you are not, you have yet to receive this word completely in faith. Because if you believe this word, you cannot live out of your own self-efforts. Now maybe there are times where you live out of your effort, out of your thoughts, out of your power. But in, at that moment you will repent. Every moment by moment you will repent. 
because because this power of that new life inside of you that lives for Jesus is much more powerful than the life of the old self inside of you so that's why you're able to put it to death every day and what's the secret is to continually put yourself to death to deny yourself if you keep denying yourself that's what's that that is the result is faith and so in Christianity what's important is to not be lazy that there's no reason for faith to be difficult except for one reason is if you are lazy you need to put yourself to death every day as it says in Galatians to die to yourself every day and so the difference between you and me is simply that is diligence you don't need talent there is no talent necessary all you have to do is be diligent diligent and faithful that's it there's no reason to be difficult just every day putting yourself to death then eventually you'll see that that the old self can no longer move within you that it becomes impossible to live outside of Jesus' grace. It becomes impossible to live without Jesus Christ. This is the reason, uh, what uh, John 3.19, First uh, John 3.19, that he who is born of Christ will not sin, that it becomes impossible for you to sin. Amen? Who are those who are born of God? Right? It's the new self. And it means you are filled of the new self and the new self alone. That the old self is completely minimized in say. And so Jesus Christ has opened the season upon you in this time. Amen. And so for 32 years, I've been living this life. And I'm so happy that now is the time that we can live only by faith. That that, that is the only option now is to live in faith. And so the fact that we have this glorious season, look at the world. The world is going crazy. There's so much suffering. There's all these kinds of hurts. And and so now we have passed the time where there seems to be no difference between a Christian and a worldly man. But now we are upon this time where without faith, we cannot survive. And so this is pure joy to me. Hallelujah. That you can no longer live out of your experiences, out of your thoughts. Now, coronavirus was actually the beginning of that. And so from now on, the history of man is just going to get harder and harder and harder. And so without faith, you won't even be able to breathe. And so how great is this, amen? That because in faith, we will survive, we will live. How uh, Thanks be to God, amen? You don't, and so who is the ones who are worried? Those who do not live in faith. It's the same thing in the church. Uh, okay, look at the biggest churches in, in Korea, right? Because they have lots of money, they can still move, they can still, they can still function. But wait, wait and see. Soon, churches won't be able to exist with that kind of, that kind of uh, mentality, right? They will not be able to survive. That without faith, they will not be able to survive. That time is upon us. And so really, someone like me, I'm excited. 
because everything is in faith, faith alone, that everything in faith, and it's all about faith, that whatever it may be, ministry, money, all of it, in faith, in faith, that yes, in faith, we will go, we'll break through in faith, that I welcome all these things. For the past three years in our church, right, we spent more than uh, six, uh, I'm just going to say a big number because I don't know the number, but six million dollars, okay, I don't know if that's big enough, but, but anyways, I don't know where that money came from, but it came somewhere. But we kept giving out, kept giving all that out, kept giving it out. Without faith, it's impossible. And honestly, let's be more accurate. I'm not the one who used the money. It was Pastor Lee. <laughs> right? All I did was sign off. Anyways, let's continue. Let's continue. And so look. And so this wickedness, this evil deeds, evil ways. What is it? It's my deeds, my ways. So I need to die in order to repent. I need to die in order to return. That is when I, my ways die that I receive God's ways. So what is repentance? Repentance is stopping the self-life. And so we can talk about sensitivity, spiritual sensitivity in many perspectives. But, but what does it mean that you are sensitively, uh, spiritually sensitive? You are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if you, what does it mean that you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit? It means that you're able to catch when you live for the self. The, ah, this is my thoughts. Ah, this is my experience. Ah, this is my strength. Ah, this is what I would have done. Right? You become sensitive to these kinds of things. These things instantaneously, uh, you are aware of it. Instantaneously, the moment it happens inside of you. That's what it means to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Just as you cannot mix black and white. In the same way, you cannot mix light and dark, right? And so if there is light, you cannot hide the darkness. And so as you become more powerfully living in the Holy Spirit, you realize these darknesses, these things start to be made evident instantaneously. And so as God is establishing the remnant in these times, He is opening and making available this sensitivity to you. And so really, uh, this glorification and, and, and Sabbath rest, they're not just simply words. No, but they are an actuality. They are a reality. It's the same thing when it comes to being renewed. Right? The Holy Spirit is moving inside of you. And as He moves inside of you, you are being renewed. Yesterday, someone came to me and was receiving ministry. And, and, and he, he, he told me all... Wait, sorry, one moment. Okay. okay uh, and, and so he, I told him the entire contents of his life. And, and he asked me, how does your pastor know this? Uh, what is he here today? And she said, no, she's, he's not. And so, oh, I guess my ministry didn't go well. But anyways, um, if you live with the Holy Spirit, then it flows. It just flows out. It flows. It's not my strength. It doesn't require my energy. And so then, because I have all this energy, what do I do? 
I just face my face him towards him. Just keep facing towards him. Right? What else could I do when I have this time? And so that's why even though I'm 70 years old, I still look young. <laughs> right? It's because, you know, I take care of my face because I have all this time. <laughs> right? That's what that's why. Because I, I don't need to do anything out of my own effort. And so what, what should I do with all this time I have left? Right? I take care of myself. <laughs> okay. It doesn't seem like I'll be able to finish this sermon today. But if I continue this way. But anyways, let's continue. And so what happens when they return? I know. What happened is that they did not hear. And so because they do not flee from themselves, because they do not put themselves to death, they cannot hear the words of God. And so look, though you may be at church for several years, though you may have been many generation believers, you may have nothing to do with God. It, just as you could... Just as... Uh, some, something with water even for a hundred years uh, not a single drop of water will pass through it doesn't matter even if you live in the church for a thousand years the word does not enter into you what's the evidence of that? is that you're always living out of yourself every day and then when God's kingdom comes that's too late and so really this is a person that God cannot use now, they may be very diligent in their religious practices, but God can't use them. And so really, this is a death sentence, the inability to hear the word of God. And so, brothers, hallelujah, wake up, wake up, okay? okay is the word entering into you? Is it entering into you? Amen? Okay, in Costa Rica, they had this conference where, where they used this sign for coffee. And so they would raise it up to receive coffee. And so if you're not going to say amen, let's make a sign that at least says amen so that I can know that you're receiving. Okay. When we were at Costa Rica, okay, there would be these ministers all lined up at the back, ushers. And so whenever a pastor would be drowsy, he would raise up a sign saying that there's coffee. And then they would bring this coffee to, to that pastor. <laughs> See, look, 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 look. Okay, so, hey, coffee, coffee, go bring coffee. <laughs> okay, where are they? Where is it? Coffee. Come on, guys, respond, laugh. Uh, he's not talking to you. <laughs> okay, if if you keep responding like this, I might emigrate to Costa Rica. Okay, and so if you live out of yourself, you cannot live with God. God cannot use you. And so how can you know if you're listening to the word of God right now or not? It's really simple. That if you're, every moment in your life, if you are self-centered, then you are not hearing the word of God. It's simple, simple. And so as I've been pastoring my church, I'm seeing, I can see if that person is receiving the word of God or not. So for 20 years, not listening to the word of God. And so that's why you, what happens, eventually they leave the church. That means for 20 years, even though he's been at my church, he's not listening to the word. Be why? Because he's always living out of his own strength. He's always living out of his own methods. He's always looking for his own will, his own willpower. He has nothing to do with the word of God. And so look, 
spiritually, I don't need to talk about your talent. That's not important, right? There's no reason to talk about talent. But if we are to talk about talent, what talent is bad is the one who is strong in himself. The one who is selfish, who is self-centered, who is always living out of his own judgment, his own thoughts. This is the worst kind of talent, the worst kind of characteristic that, oh, I can do it. I can do it, that I can make it happen. No, this is the worst kind of thing. And so if you know that you have that kind of character, then I pray that you will repent deeply. Because these are the kinds of people who really need to repent or who need to fast. And not just with one day, right? One day is not enough. This kind of person fasts 50 days, right? To, to, to the point where they're on the brink of death so that your, your strength would hit empty. Because the problem is that the moment you start eating, your strength rises up once again. That's the problem. And so, so really, 13 years ago, that was me. Uh, no, uh, sorry, not that, that my strength was me, but, but I fasted more days than I, than I ate, right? Because, because honestly, when I was young, there was never a moment that I could not have what I wanted. And so that made me have really strong um, strength, right? I, I had this strength in myself. And so, and so I had to fast so much. And so more days than I would eat, I would fast. And so really, these kinds of people, I, 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 I encourage you to fast. Still, yet you do not say amen. Thank you. Gracias. Obrigado. Okay. And so what happens if they do not hear? That uh, they did not pay attention to me. Because they don't hear, they cannot pay attention. Because they do not hear the word of God, they do not pay attention to God. This is obvious, right? And so if I don't hear him, he's also not going to hear me. Amen? So let's continue. And so this is denying repentance. Because you do not hear the voice of God, because you cannot hear the word of God, you reject repentance. You deny repentance. And so because you do not hear the words of God, you cannot repent. When I hear the words of God, the evidence is that is that he pours out the spirit of repentance upon me. But because you do not hear God, you cannot repent. And so, look, repentance isn't out of your own will. Okay, all I can do is acknowledge my sin. Acknowledge my wickedness. Then the Holy Spirit inside of me sees that acknowledgement and acknowledges my acknowledgement and pours out the spirit of repentance upon me. But because you do not hear the word of God, you reject, you deny that repentance. And what does it mean? This kind of person becomes a, a rebel against the Holy Spirit. Refuses to hear the groaning of the Holy Spirit. 
And so what does it mean that you do not repent? It means that, or no, if you are repenting, it means you are hearing the groaning of the Holy Spirit within you. That's why you're able to repent. But if you are someone who, who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, then that's over, right? And so, so anyway, so let's continue. And so what happens? God can't help but judge them. And so the thing is, is when is God going to judge them then? Then that's something that we cannot know. We cannot block him if he decides to judge. There, and so many times I look at people and I see those where God's judgment is all right upon them and others where God's judgment is coming to them. As some people, God says, you are finished. Some, he does not. We, we cannot know. That's not for us to know. But what is clear to us is that if we do not hear the word of God and we reject repentance, then we are in, we are under judgment. Whether it's finished or not, whether it's executed or not, it, we are under judgment. But, uh, sorry, one moment. Okay, so we do not want to be in that state where we are finished, but continually growing in glorification where we can stand before God. Amen? And so if you are dozing off right now, then you are under God's judgment, right? And, and, uh, but, and so all of these things will disappear. All the things of this earth will fade, but the word of God lasts forever. And so what is the word of God? It will never disappear. Only the word of God will never disappear. And so verse 6. Uh, but my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said... And that uh, is because of the judgment of re uh, the, the judgment comes because of the rejection of the word of God, and so that's why this judgment comes. And so, as the Lord of Hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has He dealt with us. What is this it saying? That because they lived by their thoughts, because they lived by their methods, God's judgment came upon them, and so God has dealt with them as He has decreed. But conversely, if they were obedient to God, what does that mean? That we're acknowledging that if they were obedient to God, that God will bless them and prosper them. So what is this saying? Israel, children of God. What does it mean to live by that? It means that it's really simple. Simple. I do not live for myself. I do not live for things. But I live for God. And that when I live for God, He blesses us with glorification. There's no reason for it to be difficult. And so if you find yourself making faith complicated, making Christianity complicated, what does that mean? It means that you keep trying to prove yourself, prove yourself out of your strength to God. You keep trying to find your own righteousness. If you live with God properly, then you do not need to explain yourself. You do not need to defend yourself. You become simple. Everything becomes simple. Really, living with God is very simple. That if I do wrong, then if he decrees death, then I will die. If he, if he decrees judgment, I will receive judgment. It becomes that simple. It's simple. 
But when you don't live in faith, right, you get broken down and then you make it complicated. You find like, God, but this, this and that. And you make it complicated and you keep uh, moving your thoughts, moving your trying to things. But no, living with God is simple. It's very simple and very to the point. There are many, there are times every now and then where, 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 where he's going to explain in more detail, but never to a child, right? Not to a child. When you are young, in your youth, in your immaturity, he's not going to demand that kind of high level things, right? Right, when you're raising your child and a child does some, something wrong and the, let's say they're three or four years old, are you going to beat that kid saying that that kid did wrong and like, you did wrong, you did wrong, you did wrong. No, he's only th- six months, four months, three years old. Right, it, it, that's not going to correct them, right, that child. But you're accurate, right? If they do well, you tell them that they did well. If they did wrong, you tell them that they did wrong. Very simple. But, you know, if you never grow in maturity and you keep complaining to God, why aren't you telling me? Why aren't you explaining? Why? And so, to my understanding of the Bible, God doesn't um, just... uh, God doesn't give this thorn, right? The thorn that Paul talks about. He doesn't just give it to anyone. It's someone who's at Paul's level who can get the privilege of receiving that thorn. And so don't blame God thinking that, oh, why'd you put this thorn at my side? Why'd you put this thorn at my side? I'm tired of these people complaining about this thorn, right? Okay, living with God is simple. It becomes simple and simple and simple. It's strange if you make it complicated. There's no reason for it to be complicated. Amen? So stop trying to explain your weakness. Stop trying to defend your, 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 your sins, right? Don't try to, you don't need to explain, you don't need to rationalize. Just acknowledge and pray to God. Okay, because you keep trying to rationalize, that's why you keep trying to defend yourself to people. You keep trying to explain yourself to people. But living with God needs to be simple. So let's continue. Okay, and so now let's see the, the body of the text, the first vision. Okay, it's only 11, so we have plenty of time, plenty of time. So the first vision. Okay, you did not come here for vacation, did you? No, right? You came here to be trained, and so you came here to pray, to hear the word of God. So are you blessed? Are you blessed? If you're blessed, then raise that flag, raise that banner. Maybe some of you are thinking, why are you making me work? (laughs) Don't think that way, okay? But anyways, really, this isn't going to take too much time. 
Okay, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, this is, this is the uh, prophecy that came to him at this time. BC, uh, BC, BC 510. This Mount of Shabbat is, is, is the, it's in the uh, Babylonian calendar. And why is he using the Babylonian calendar? He's because he's saying that, that, that the authority still lies with Babylon. And so during this time, this was a time of great confusion in Israel. Because during this time, though many of them have returned from exile, is this God's restoration? They're not so sure just yet. Because in BC 520, during this time, uh, the temple is not yet completed. And later, we'll see that in chapter 7 and 8, where, where, they'll t- where the Israelites will talk about themselves. Right? That they've been fasting because they, they lost the temple. And so they're wondering, are we supposed to fast or not? Is this restoration or not? Are, can we call this God's restoration? Because though they have returned from exile, the temple is not yet completed. And so if the temple is not finished, that means that has great significance to Israel, right? And so remember, when was the exodus from Egypt finished? Was it when they, was it when they crossed the Red Sea? Was it when they f- left Egypt? When was it perfected? When was it completed? As it says in 1 Samuel, that when the temple is built in Jerusalem and God rests His presence on that temple, that He comes as King and as He reigns over Israel, that's when the Exodus is complete. And so without this temple being completed, the Israelites cannot consider this to be God's restoration just yet. So this is a time of great confusion. And yet like the prophecy of Jeremiah 25, that as it says that in 70 years that they will return, they returned, but when are they going to count these 70 years? And so that's why there was this great confusion in Israel at this time. That where do we begin this counting of the 70 years? And so let's look at this vision. And so this is a prophecy of BC 510. And as you hear the words of Zechariah in this conference, Above all else, I pray that the powerful spirit of prophecy would come upon you. And in faith, with this faith, listen to this sermon. Amen? Okay, Deacon Bernie, you must be happy because Ella can hear now. How blessed are you, Deacon Bernie? Okay, because Deacon Bernie finally stands firm. God is giving, sealing that victory. Amen? Hesimida. 
did, did you you heard what I said? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, you need to listen to the word carefully. Okay, don't let the anointing be separate from the word. If okay, and so if you receive the word in faith, the same anointing that came upon Zechariah is also coming upon you. And so when you eat the word in faith, these 66 books of the Bible, all of this becomes part of your character. It becomes embodied in you. Why? Because the anointing of that word empowers you. And so that's what it means to have the character of the saints, is that the word becomes part of your, your character. It becomes embodied in you. that this is not what it means to be a saint, that, ah, oh, this person seems like a good man. That's not what it means to be a saint. Is, is, is a saint someone who is kind? Someone who is meek? No, this has no meaning. The saint is someone who embodies the word of God. It's not about being kind. That's not what it is about. And going further, what does it mean that you embody the Word of God? That as your, your, the, your food is provided out of your being, in the same way the Word provides your character. Why do you lack power? Because you keep living by your own thoughts. But when you embody the Word of God, that's where power comes forth. So when you receive the Word in faith, that power, that anointing is filling you up. Especially, what's the characteristic of Zechariah? Is visions. Right? And so he doesn't just see one vision, but like... But like pieces of a puzzle coming together, uh, tying 50 years of history together, that he sees these visions. And that's the kind of prophet that God is looking for in this time. When I first began Zoe ministry, I started ministering. And I've been continually seeing these, uh, seeing these people who have these visions. And I could explain those visions. And what I would always say whenever someone would see visions is, I think there's another vision behind that. There's some other vision. And so keep looking. you got to keep seeing to the next vision. And so we kept continuing and connecting these visions. And so when I was in Honduras, the moment I stood on the altar, I said that someone is seeing this kind of vision. And raise your hand. And then there's going to be this vision. And all of these people started raising their hands and seeing that vision, just as I said. Right, Honduras? If, so, if that's the case, then be witnesses. Honduras is a nation of prophets. Costa Rica is strong in apostolic anointing. Let's continue. And so it's really important to eat the word in faith. Because soon God is going to raise up his prophet for this generation. 
And so this vision of 50 years later is not just that vision, but it comes together as pieces of a puzzle, building the story. There's someone like this. Oh, pastor, there's this old man coming forward. Or, or sorry. I, I cannot hear him. Sorry, I... But, okay, so not, not like these simple kind of prophecies, but really prophetic visions, prophetic visions. That's the kind of prophet that is necessary for these times. And so yearn for it, amen? Desire for it. Pray for it. That maybe someone's seeing visions all day long or, or, or even throughout the entire month. That's the kind of prophet that is needed. Look at Zechariah. Right, you'll see tomorrow. He's in this presence just continually seeing these visions. Constantly seeing these visions. And I bless you that this powerful anointing will come upon you. And really, uh, being more specific. Seeing visions isn't just like dreaming a picture. No, rather it means your spirit is being activated. That's what visions come from. And so that means you need to be in this state that is filled with the Holy Spirit, going beyond what your experiences are. And because when you see visions, it means you are transcending space and time. That my spirit is being led to where God is leading me. And or he is pouring that time into me. That is a vision. And so that means that while you are in that vision, you are transcending space and time. I'm not saying that you're, you're having an out-of-body experience. No, but, but when you are seeing visions, it means you're experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so, brothers, I want you to yearn for this. And going beyond that, it's not time for, like, just seeing things. And like in the past where they're seeing things 2,000 years into the future. No, you're seeing things that are happening now. That's, what, that's the kind of visions that we are yearning for. Amen? And so there's someone who's seeing visions right now. There's this... Um, Large, there's this large, large uh, sweep, not sweep, um, broom, broom, and, 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 and it is, is, is moving, it's sweeping, it's sweeping. Okay, there's someone who's seeing this vision. Anyone? Raise your hand. Anyone? I saw this vision come upon someone. Okay, any of you, if, if you see that vision, there's also another vision that's going to come to you. Okay. Okay, high schoolers. High schoolers, can you, did you not see? Okay, you need to. 
you need to refund all the all the money that 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 sent you to Europe because I wanted to send you to Argentina next year, you know, being able to go to the end, you know, of Patagonia and then from there going up to Mexico. That's what that's the what I the trip I had planned for you, but you you guys aren't activating your spirit then 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 never mind. Okay, but anyways, let's go back. Let's go back. Okay, let's hurry up. We don't have to hurry up and finish. And so, look. Verse 8. Okay, let's look at the background of the vision. I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. And standing among the myrtle trees in the glen. So this is kind of a high, high archangel. That's what's being represented here. And so that's why behind him were red and sorrel and white horses. And then so in verse 9, we see another angel who interprets. And so we need to see these characters clearly to be able to interpret this word. And then so in verse 8, it says that uh, I saw in the night. What does it mean that he saw in the night? It doesn't mean literally the night, but rather the situation of the days. A time where hope is nowhere to be found. But at the same time, what, does, what is the night? It means that you have hope for the dawn. And so that's why a prophet is needed, right? Whether it's the church or the nation, that's why they need a prophet for the hope of the dawn, right? Because who is a prophet of Israel? He is a watchman. And he is also the eyes. And so like it says in Ephesians 4, 11, the church needs apostles, but also needs prophets. If there is no prophet in the church, that church has no direction. And so in the church, the apostolic anointing needs to be activated, but the prophetic anointing also needs to be activated. If the prophetic anointing dies, then they will wander aimlessly. They don't know their direction. That, oh, look, I think we're going the right way. Oh, no, we're in the wrong way. Then we got to go back this way. No, no, this is not the right way, right? That's what happens without the prophetic anointing. There's many of you wandering. Why? Because the prophetic anointing is not activated in the church. You don't know if the warfare is there, where, where demons are attacking. It's confusion. You are lost. And look at this generation, this time and age. It is a generation of lost people who are confused. Right? Look, look at the diseases that are afflicting the people these days. Depression. What is this? This is confusion. Right? There is a statistics in the UN. That um, Chonobik, uh, that that uh, mental disabilities uh, from 20 years ago has risen up 1,500 percent from 20 years ago. It's because of the spirit of confusion. That's why, honestly, as a church member, as a Christian, it doesn't make sense to be caught in depression. And yet, there's so many depressed people in the church. These kinds of people need to repent deeply. Right? There's so many of you who, ha who are taking medication for depression. Right? Repent. Repent. Right? It's not enough to rejoice every day. Where is there time to, to, to be depressed? 
And so you should not have muscles to frown, to be sad, right? You, you should have muscles to smile, right? To rejoice, right? Look, look, you, but there's many of you, you can't even tell if they're smiling or if they're crying. Oh, you, I can tell. I can tell. I can tell. But, but look, is your face hardened? Is it hardened because you're frowning all the time? No, look, look, because, because I'm smiling so often, that's why my face is so soft. Right? Because I give joy to our church, right? Why are you guys not responding as if I'm lying? Our church members, my church members. Okay, amen? Amen, okay. And so at least when you look at me, at the very least, you do not see religion, do you? Right? Right, am I like, deacon? Hey, deacon. Right? Okay. Okay, why, when I call Deacon, I don't go Deacon. I say, hey, Deacon, Deacon, come here. <laughs> right? It's because I have no spirit of religion. But look at these pastors. They don't even have power and they act holy like they try to stress their holiness. <laughs> come on. Amen. And so. Amen. Okay, let's continue. Let's continue. And so a man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered. And so this myrtle trees in the glen is talking about in the depths. And so what is a myrtle tree though? A myrtle tree is a symbolism for victory. This was a really important tree for the festival of booths. And so whenever myrtle trees are brought up in the prophecies, it represents restoration. And it's regarding victory. Okay, uh, he used two different trees. I don't know what trees they are in English because I don't know them in Korean. But one of it is a myrtle tree. Okay, but I don't know what the other tree he's saying is. But he's saying that they're the same. And he's asking if they're the same. And amen, they're the same. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what tree it is. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the, the myrtle trees. Okay, sorry. Okay, he's saying cedars then, because he's mentioned Solomon's temple. So cedars and myrtle trees are the same? I, I don't know, but I, I don't know. <laughs> She said that it's the same, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think like the Hebrew word. So, so, yeah. Okay, uh, Pastor Lee is here. Uh, please rise up. Uh, I didn't introduce you to him, but he, he is almost finished with his doctor's program. And so he is in the finishing stages. <laughs> I told you to greet them. Who said to <laughs> celebrate? Okay, his uh, dissertation will be finished soon. He has to finish, actually. Because, because if not, he's got to pay me back tw twice, double. And so anyways, let's continue. 
And so this, this myrtle tree is representative of victory. And so this, these angels are leading Israel to victory, to restoration. And so in these end times, there are many angels being gathered for the remnant. Amen? Even in our church, in our worship, you see these great angels, these large angels uh, surrounding the church. Even yesterday, as we were worshiping, these great angels were gathered. There are angels I've never seen before in my life. They're uh, right, never before seen. And in, Zechari- and in Zechariah 5, what does it say about the ministry of the remnant? That they all have the ministry of judgment. That they can judge angels. Amen. And that has been given us, that privilege has been given us by grace. But uh, right now, of course, God is sending these angels to our church because of grace. But at the same time, he is acknowledging the merits of our ministry for the past 30 years. Because we've been engaging in such severe warfare for the past 30 years. And so really, the fact that we are alive is grace. And God is acknowledging that time. And he is, he is pleased with that time. And so he is sealing that, that victory by sending us these great angels. And so really, open up your spiritual eyes. Look around you. And if you see a roof here, it means you have no faith. (laughs) Okay, you should see heaven, amen? And these angels filling this place. So anyways, these angels are here. Let's continue. Verse 9. Verse 9 and 10. He's starting to speak with this angel. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? And so this angel from verse 8 and the angel that he's speaking to in verse 9 is a different angel. And so this is the angel that is interpreting the vision for Daniel. Okay, and so visions belongs to prophecy. But interpretation of that vision belongs to wisdom. And so for my past 30 years in my experience, I rarely see interpretation and visions come upon the same person. Now, of course, simple visions anyone can interpret. But I'm talking about like these great images, these images that go beyond your understanding. Usually that vision will come upon one person who has prophetic anointing and then interpretation is someone who has wisdom. For example, I cannot see visions, but I I can interpret many people's visions. So many people see visions, but I am the one who interprets. Why? Because I see the big picture. But who knows, maybe as the time becomes more urgent, there will be people who can see and interpret at the same time. But right here, we're seeing that there's someone interpreting, right? And so in this Old Testament perspective, because they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them, they need an angel to interpret the vision. And so one angel shows them the vision, but this cut is changing, right? It's becoming, it's going to a new scene. And so verse 10. 
So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered. So this is again speaking of that leader angel. Uh, we have patrolled the earth and behold all the earth remains at rest. And so just as uh, Persia reigns over the satrapies by sending his satrap, in the same way, God sends his representative all over the universe to rule. And so this angel we'll see again also in Genesis 6, right? We see this angel in Genesis 6. And then there's also evidence of this angel in, in the book of Enoch. And, uh, right, it's when these kinds of angels, these ruling angels, these reigning angels fall, that's what we see in Genesis 6, right? Where, where uh, sons of heaven and daughters of earth, of earth Right, but I'm not trying to get into Enoch right now. But anyways, and so these kinds of leading angels. And so from position-wise, they are highly in the hierarchy. And so we'll see this later in Revelations. But But anyways, we have these leading angels who go around the world to, 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 to extend God's reign. And then if you look at Ephesians 3, I think he said, that the church of God uh, can teach wisdom to angels. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, there are chosen angels over a church. And so don't look at angels in a strange way, in a supernatural way, the way the way theology seminary deals with angels. Okay, angel, if we spend too much time here, we cannot, we cannot do anything. There are many people who think that angels are strange, talk of angels is strange, it's because they do not know the spiritual realm. But God uses angels, right? And, and so he has these chosen angels for the church. And as each church engages in spiritual warfare, they get assigned more and more of these angels. Right? Isn't this obvious? Because just as Rome sent more legions in hotspots, in the same way when that spiritual warfare grows in that church, more and more angels are sent. And so uh, there may be a church that can minister all over the world. But what's important here, the key is holiness. And so though it may be hard and difficult, uh, through warfare we grow in holiness. And as they grow in holiness, the scale of that church grows. But anyways, and so let's continue. And so this angel reports, right, reports to God. Remember that the church, the reason why we have the right to rule is because we can teach wisdom to angels. And so, of course, everything that is spoken in the church, angels take to God. And so, uh, the church of God... That God alone knows what goes on in the church. That, that's the fundamental image of the church. For example, let's say that 
the worship is offered in the church, then that spirit of that worship goes straight to God. And then, and then the angels record it. And they're they, like scribes. They, they are recording everything that, that we say. And as it's determined in the sermon, in the worship, it is reported. And so because... Uh, sorry, one moment. Uh, because why, why is this the case? Because angels don't have the Holy Spirit. And so they cannot receive revelation. But because we have the Holy Spirit, we can receive revelation. And going beyond that, what does God say about us? That we are His temple. What does it mean that we are His temple? It means we are His Holy of Holies. And so just as God determines the history of man in His heavenly Holy of Holies, that same Holy of Holies is inside of me. And so through revelation, that same determination rises up in me, is recorded in me. And now who can recognize that? That's another matter. But if you have the Holy Spirit, then that is happening inside of you. But it's because you live by the flesh, because you live by your senses that you do not recognize it. But fundamentally, when we live by the will of God, by the Spirit of God, His will is made known in us, is revealed in us. And so it happens at the same time. His decision in Holy of Holies of Heaven happens at the same time in me. Like it says in Ephesians 2.28, that we are the dwelling place of God. That means that His authority and power happens the same time inside of me. And what is the season that was upon us? That the temple is being completed. Amen? That the dwelling place is being made complete. That means revelation is coming perfectly upon us. The authority of the king, the power of the king is being made manifest perfectly. If you live by the flesh, you can never see this. You can never understand it. If you live by your thoughts, you cannot understand this. If you live by reason and rationality, you cannot understand this. And so the decisions made by the glorious church of God, angels receive it and record it. Why? Because, for example, let's say that a centurion is in the middle of the battle. Then he cannot go to the king and ask him, what should I do, right? That when the centurion makes that decision, the messenger goes to the king to report to the king. It's the same principle that's at play here. And so the centurion, which is us, the church of God, when we make that decision, God acknowledges it. That's what it means to have that power and authority, the apostolic authority. And so that's what happens when we live according to God's will and when God's Holy Spirit leads me. And so look, if you are the church of God, it means you have the power and authority of His reign and authority, a rule. That is the blessing that Ephesians has granted us. And there are many of you who do not know this authority. And so really, if what, what you are losing out on, you, you, how unfair is it that you do not understand what you are losing out on? 
And that's why, because you do not know, that's why you keep looking to this world and begging for the things of this world. How foolish is that? It's because of your foolishness. If you do not want to be foolish, then live in the Spirit. So wave your hands if you receive this. Amen. And so let's continue. Where do we need to go? So verse 12 or 11, 11, 11. So verse 11. And so now we see this angel who's on the red horse. And they answered, the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. It says that the earth remains at rest. And so remember this prophecy, what time is it happening? It's happening around BC 520. It's about time for the Darius king to die and for the next king to rise. And that means that lots of rebellions are happening up all over the empire. But in 520, it's around the time where all those rebellions have died down and it's at peace. It means that they have entered into a time of security. That's what's being spoken of here. That all the earth remains at rest. So up until this point, Persia was in chaos. It seemed as if Persia would fall. But Darius uh, brings everything underfoot. And then so verse 12 and 13. Then angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem? Why does he say this? As prophecy of Jeremiah says that Israel was restored after 70 years and many prophets said that the world will end and yet the world is not ending but is at peace and so that's what's being that's what's causing confusion and so that's what's being described here that remember, it's been you have been angry these 70 years. Now the problem is, is where did these 70 years begin? If you look at it from BC 536, when Cyrus says to the Israelites, go back home. Then you could look at um, 70 years from... Oh, sorry, his math is weird. 605, BC 605. Then 605 is when Israel was first taken into exile.
then if that's the case, if that's when 70 years is counted, then like this angel says, it's as if God has yet restored Israel. But now let's say it's from AD or BC 586 when Jerusalem was destroyed. That means that there's still time for the 70 years to be filled. And so right now that's what the angels are kind of discussing amongst themselves is what where do we begin to count? And so if this is the case, then it should begin when Jerusalem fell. And so that's why the temple has not yet been restored, because the 70 years has not yet been filled. If we look at it from that time. Do you understand what I'm saying? So verse 13. And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And so we'll see these comforting words, the good words in verse 14. And so let's look at these comforting words and be comforted. Amen. Comfort isn't, oh, it's okay. No, rather that all my circumstances, God's hands is behind it and he can transform it at any time in reality. And so really, in AD 516, just a few months later, uh, the, 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 the temple becomes finished. And so to those who had no money, he gives money. Right? There's, there's this real turning of the tables. That is what comfort means. So let's continue. Verse 14. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. So from verse 14 to 16 is talking about this comfort. And so amongst the things that God says to Jerusalem, being jealous for Jerusalem is one of the most important. Do not look at jealous from the perspective of human jealousy, right? This kind of fallen nature, the sinful nature jealousy. That's not what this jealousy is. This word is khan in Hebrew for jealousy. And this khan nara is not, is not the jealousy of fallen human, but rather it's talking about passion. That when Israel loves God alone, Israel will become holy. But when, when, he, when Israel loves something else, that's when God is jealous for Israel. And so when the saint loves the world, God is jealous for that saint. That <laughs> he, he, he did wordplay with Korean. So, so if, you, if, if the saint loves something else in this world that's not God, then he's going to not love you or not, not that's, I don't know how to translate this into English but anyways it's because you do not know the love of God that you do not know how fearful this jealousy is when you do not know the love of God when you know the love of God you cannot love anything else because of how joyous his love is 
But also, you are so afraid of that jealousy that you cannot love anything else. And there are many evidences that you are receiving the love of God. But amongst those evidence is purity and holiness. Purity and holiness is proof that you are receiving that love. Just as when a wife is loved by her husband, she is obedient, right? And she is beautiful to him. That's not that beauty isn't sp- talking about outer appearances, but but let's say that that wife is very quarrelless, quarrelsome. Right? She's quarrelsome and she's got she's got a feisty temper. That's proof that you are not loving your wife. Why? Because the responsibility of the husband is to love his wife. Right? Amen? And when the woman receives that love, she becomes so tender. Really, there's nothing more to it. Women, it's not complicated. If you love them, they will be... But all you have to do is love them. If they love, if you love them, they will, they will come to life. Really, it's true. It's the same thing to the church. When, when you receive God's love, you become obedient. You become holy. You become pure. If that's not the case, then what can you recognize? Is that, ah, I do not know the love of God. Remember, God is Elohim Yahweh. And so if you receive His love, it's not just Elohim, but Yahweh. Yahweh. This relationship with God. It doesn't matter if you explain who Yahweh is for a thousand years. All you need is to receive His love. If you receive His love, that Yahweh comes to you. Who is Yahweh? Yahweh is first used in where? In Genesis chapter 2 verse 2 when He makes man. That as He imparts man with a piece of Him. In the same way, man is not about looking for their um, their personality, their persona. No, that's not what man is. Right? That, that's seminary. That's theology. Who, that's not what is important. That when God created man, how did He create man? He created man in God's image. And so that means man is divine. Right? The Bible doesn't separate that. But the reason why God put on the flesh is because of fallen nature of man. Okay, but if I go deeper into this, it becomes complicated. So, but what's evidence that you receive love? Is that you are perfected in His image. Amen? And so when that God is there, is that is Yahweh God. Look at your children. When your children says to you, Father, what does that mean? It means that you have given them life. That, ah, that He knows my love. It's the same thing with Yahweh God. That, ah, He is my life. He is my father. 
Ah, uh, that's that's why Yahweh, right? That's what you recognize. That's what you know. Amen. And so it's only eleven, so we can continue. Amen. And so this jealousy is is passion for holiness. And so because God loves and he's jealous for Israel, he judges Israel. This, what does this mean? It means that if you do not love him alone, that you will be judged. But if you go back to God, if you return to God, then God with everything he has will restore you. Right? This, where is this proved? It's proved in the parable of the prodigal son. That when we return... He prepares the best celebration, the best feast that, he, that he's willing even to go beyond the rights of the firstborn. Right? That's what Kanna, this jealousy is. His passion for holiness. This passion for holiness. And so when we receive his love, then we have that same passion for holiness. And so in your life, if you have this proper relationship with God, then you have this yearning for holiness. You have this yearning to be pure. You have this yearning to be aligned, to be tuned to Him. That, then that means that, ah, I am receiving God's love. Ah, I am living in His love. And so from the depths of your stomach, what kind of prayer rises up? That, Lord, I want to be a soul that loves you alone. That, Lord, I want to live for you alone. Help me to be someone who can die for you and your gospel. This is the confession of the pinnacle of that holiness. Hallelujah. And when that rises up inside of you, that means that you are receiving that love of God fully. And so because Israel has returned, God has determined to restore Israel. And so in verse 15, what does it say? And I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. And so these nations that are at ease were the tools of God to judge Israel. Because while I was angry but a little, they furthered that disaster. As if they were righteous. And so God brings judgment to them, right? And so because of this, they die. And so when God gives suffering to Israel, Remember, when God judges Israel, He's not judging them to destroy them. But judgment of the world is destruction. Why, Why is destruction to the world? Because the world's hope is through the holiness of Israel. And so if Israel is fallen, then the world can't help but be fallen. And so where is the hope for this world? It's through the holiness of the church. But because the church is fallen, there's no hope for the world. 
Because the church cannot be holy and the pastors are fallen and corrupt, the world is corrupt. So, and so look at the generation, look at the youth these days. Because the pastors are corrupt, because they are so filthy, that's why this generation has no hope. Why there's no holiness to be found in the church. And so what can God do but judge the world? Now, of course, there are remnant that God has left. Right, we see in Judah, right, through King Joash, Joash there, there is this revival, but, but it's not enough. It's already too late. And so though there are remnant in this world, there's, God's judgment is already determined to the world. And so... Why did this happen? Because the church is continually corrupt. It's led to this point. And remember that the failure of the church is the failure of the pastors. They think that they're a pastor just because they've graduated from seminary. Right? Thinking that that gives them the right. And so that's why they lose purity. They lose holiness. They lose the desire to meet with God. They desire for holiness. They, they lose that desire for holiness. Sorry, one moment. But it's because these kinds of people lead the church that the church is so corrupted. And so that's why the world can't help but be judged. So pastors, we need to repent deeply. We need to uh, have a contrite heart. Look at how influenced we are by the spirit of religion, how corrupt our religion is. How much I am spreading that filth that the word of God has been entrusted to me, that the name of God has been entrusted to me. And yet I live for my survival. I live for myself. And because of that kind of religious attitude, this world is so fallen, so corrupt. So we need to repent deeply that why do you think God brought you here? Because God is calling you. Why is He working in you? Because He can no longer turn a blind eye to the world. That the Lord must come. That His glorious kingdom must come. And so he's raising up his holy servants to prepare that path. And so, there, though they may not be many, though the numbers may be few, but the remnant's dignity is here, as it says in Revelations 4, that he has sealed the, his servants to himself. And so, do not lose sight of that seal. And of course, the seal is not just to pastors, but to the saints, to those who give their lives for God, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These are the people who God is looking for. And so all the pastors, all the saints, I bless you that you would all be sealed by the Lamb. Verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it. 
And so as long as God has mercy for you, we have hope. If God's mercy stops, there is no hope. And so, no matter what sin we may be in, no matter what depression we may be in, we, as long as God has mercy on us, that we can be restored at all, any time. That we can rise back up again. As it says in Ephesians 4, 10, or 16. Uh, Hebrews, not Ephesians, Hebrews 4.16 that wherever you may be go before the throne of grace and so we have the right to draw near to that throne of grace and so Lord have mercy on us this is important have mercy on us though we have nothing to show for ourselves as long as you have mercy on us that victory is assured we have nothing to show for ourselves. We have nothing. But Lord, have mercy on us. Hallelujah. And so because God has mercy on Israel, He restores Israel. Okay, the word for mercy in Hebrew is similar to the word for womb, a mother's womb. Right? That's what, that's what mercy is. It's someone who's cradling the baby. And so the more we receive grace, it means we're receiving more of God's love. And that spirit, that spirit is being filled with God's life. That's what mercy is, right? Because the mother's womb, carrying that child. And so what happens? That why is your life so glorious? Uh, is it because I'm so awesome? No, that means your life is finished. No, it's because God has mercy on us. Oh God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. It's, that's how important this mercy is, amen? And so look, because He has mercy on us, what happens? That Jerusalem will be restored. That I, amen. That... He doesn't just return to Jerusalem. He doesn't just bring his exiles back to Jerusalem. It's not just Israel coming back. But there he also comes. And that whole, temple is built representing that God is still with them. And so God returns too. And when God returns, what happens? The temple is restored. Amen? And so we'll see this in chapter 4. That during this time in BC 510, it's not a situation where they could build this temple. There's so many problems around. Right? They cannot even draw out the temple plans. And so it makes no sense that this is what's being proclaimed right now. It's the same thing like our church right now, right? We just moved to a new building, but already we're looking for another building. Right? And yet none of you are, 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 are downtrodden, right? Because none of you have money, right? None of you have money. <laughs> so none of you are worried, right? Is there any amongst you who can give me $10 million? There's none of you, right? 
Right? And so this is the situation. We cannot solve this. We cannot do this. We have no power. We have no wealth. We have nothing. But God will do it. And so why? Why is this the case? Because It's not because Israel returned, but because they returned with God. And so as I said earlier, when is the completion of the return from exile? Not when they leave Babylon, but when the temple of Zerubbabel is established and God's presence rests in that temple. And so there are many temples in this world, amen? But how can you know whether that temple is a temple of God? Is it because there's a cross on that temple? Is that why it makes it a temple of God? That it says Presbyterian Church? Is that why? No. Is God seated on his throne in that temple? Like it says in Malachi 3.16. That Lord, when you are seated in glory. That like his prophecy says. That, ho- that his heavenly host is there in the mist. That his glory is there in that mist. And that evidence of that glory must be clear and evident to all. It's not just simply some holy pr- appearance. It's clear whether the presence of God is resting on that church or not. That glory does not just, just go anywhere. That where that glory is, there's freedom. Where that glory is, there's power. Where there's glory, there is riches. If there is no glory, there is no God. It's because God returned. This is our hope, brothers. That wherever country you may be in, whatever circumstances you may be in, if God is with you, if God is holding on to you, there is no reason to despair. That whenever I fell into hardship, God always said the same thing to me, that I am with you. My son, I am with you. And one time I said this to God. God, can't you maybe say something else to me? Isn't there anything else? Say maybe something else. And God said to me, Is there anything better? (laughs) Is there anything better? That I am with you. Hallelujah. And so what does he say? He says, um, My house shall be built in it. And this is written in the imperfect tense. And so this Zerubbabel temple that is right before their nose is waiting for them. And then the temple of Herod. And then now there will also be the third temple. And then the new Jerusalem that will come after the millennial kingdom. This is all included here in this word. And so that's why it's written in the imperfect tense. And so the uh, conclusion, verse 17. And so brothers, if you were sleeping, it's time for you to wake up. Because we are at the end. (laughs) If you say amen, does that mean you were sleeping? (laughs) Okay, verse 17. Cry out again. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, My city shall again overflow with prosperity. So God isn't just simply saying that he will rebuild his temple, but will re-grant them these riches. And so what, what temple is he talking about here? Okay, if God has established his church, if he has established his sanctuary, that sanctuary is the kingdom of heaven itself. And so in the history of Israel, that whenever the functions of the temple was perfect and right before God, at any time, whenever that happened, God's riches flowed to Israel. What does that mean? It's not just simply speaking of money, but rather God provided everything that was necessary for Israel to live in holiness. And that's why the prophecy of Malachi says that God's glory has come. And so for the past 20 years throughout, I've been saying to Zoe Ministry the same thing. That why is my sermon so powerful? Is it because of my studies? Is it because I'm a good speaker? Is it because I'm good looking? No, it's because I am the church. Why can I say this? Because I am the church. Why is the church rich? Because I am the church. That there is nothing that can overcome the church that is ruled and reigned by God. I've been proclaiming to Zoe Ministry for the past 23 years the essence of the church. This essence. And above all, I have shown clearly what it means to be the church to Zoe Ministry. God has never reigned over us according to the trends of the world, according to the flows of the world, how this world is moving. We have never flowed the same way the world is flowing. And Zoe ministry has been a little bit more than 20 years now. And Okay, we come upon the third temple for our church. And when we enter into that third temple, now we see how small our, our second temple was. But in that tiny temple of ours, God has been reigning over the entire world. With that small, tiny church, we've used more than $600 million. Who did this? God. Why? Because we are His church. Because we are the church purchased by His blood. That's why the riches of God's glory is important. Because if the church has God's glory, then there is freedom, there is riches, there is power. If you do not know that what that glory is, you should not be a pastor. This is what the pastor needs to be most sensitive to, is the glory of God. The glory of God. Is the glory of God moving or not? This is something that we need to be sensitive to. 
in worship, throughout this worship, I'm continually looking. Is God's glory moving? Is God's glory moving? And because God's glory moves, that's why in worship, he, he can't translate. He cries. He breaks down in tears. So what are these riches? It's talking about the ultimate restoration of the end times. So listen carefully. When God talks of riches, it's not from the perspective that, oh, I'm going to make you rich, that I'm going to give you everything. That's not the perspective that he's talking about. Rather, he's giving you riches to show you that he reigns over the church. If God reigns over your church, why is money a problem? Why is people a problem? Okay, what does it matter how many people are in your church? Do I need this? Does this person must be in my church? No. And so the riches of the glory that the Bible speaks of is showing that God reigns. Why? Because God's church is there. But why do you not have those riches? Because it's not God reigning, but man reigning. Because man is reigning, that's why you are limited by man's limitations. And so pastors, that's what you need to repent of actually. Repent of that that you are moving out of man. You are moving out of your strength, not letting God reign. That's what we need to repent of, brothers. Because it's God's glory that needs to be moving, not me, not my methods. Amen? So we're almost finished. We're almost finished. And so I will, the Lord will again comfort Zion. And this comfort is a real comfort, a practical comfort. then what is this comfort to Israel at this time? It is God filling, fulfilling His promise of restoring the temple. It's not just simply about money. No, but the relationship that they have to the nations around them, the relationship to their rulers, all of these relationships, even amongst themselves, also all the trash, the ruins that have been stored up in Jerusalem. Right In this state, it was impossible for this temple to be restored. And yet, God's comfort is practical. God's comfort is real. How does David get comforted? He gets comforted by the birth of his son Solomon. Right? God's comfort is practical and real. And so I bless you that you would receive the real comfort of God. Comfort is important. Amen? And so let's continue. So, and again, I will choose Jerusalem. I will again choose Jerusalem. Does this mean that your salvation was canceled and I'll save you again? No. If you are saved once, 
that salvation is valid unless you give it up, right? Unless you give it up. That salvation cannot be taken from you unless you give it up. There are, there are ways that you can give up that salvation. And so when I talk about cancellation of salvation, it's not God canceling your salvation. It's you giving up that salvation. And so you receive that salvation, but then that salvation is canceled. Then you're saved again. Is that what he's talking about here? No, 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 no. What does it mean that he's choosing Jerusalem again? This word choose is the Hebrew word bar, bar. And it comes out in many places in the Bible. But in Revelation 17, 14, and also Isaiah 41, he uses this word choose. And what is he saying? Uh, he's talking about those who has calling, he has chosen, the elect of God. Because you have been chosen by God, you have been glorified, or you have been uh, sanctified. Because you have been sanctified, you have been glorified. It's because God has called you. I have to live out that election. Because God has chosen me, I have to let go of the world. I have to live a life that lives out that election of God. As it says in Revelations 14, that those who have been called live out that election. And so what is, your, what is the key to your glorification? Is living out that election. As it says in Isaiah 44, when Jesus came to this earth, he had to give up the glory of heaven. In order to take that flesh, he had to give up glory. And so in the same way, because God has called me, I have to live out that election. And so in Matthew 22, what does it say? 22, 18. Probably around 18. What does it say? That many are called, but few are chosen. That many have been called and received salvation, but there are few who live out that election, live out that election to grow into glorification. And so the process of glorification involves calling. And what else does it say regarding this? In Revelation, those who are calling live out that election. What do they do? They continually wash their clothes every day. And so from that perspective, what is repentance? Is that whenever you fail that election, your clothes get polluted, gets dirtied. And so you wash it, wash it in that life. That's what it means to live out that election is that repentance. And it's the same thing in the book of John. The gospel of John says the same thing. That his revelation, his salvation is continually coming towards me. Then what do I have to do? I have to welcome it every day. Accept it every day. 
That if when you reject that well that salvation, that's what judgment is. That's why he says that the world already stands condemned. And so it's the same thing with salvation. You are already saved, but not yet perfected in that salvation. And so same thing with judgment to this world. The world already stands condemned, but is not yet fulfilled. Right? And so that's how, what, how important this life of election is. And so what does it mean that he chooses Jerusalem again? That he has restored that kingly authority, that kingly dignity to Jerusalem again. That I have, will restore the dignity of Jerusalem again. That I will restore their glory. And so what does this mean? Let us repent. Brothers, let us repent. Please, let us repent. And so what is this first vision about? It's the prophecy in history about God's building His temple. And going further, it's about restoration of Jerusalem. And so look, brothers, this is God's promise. And so church, Israel, Jerusalem, ultimately the victory is given to them. That the ultimate victory is yours. That's the faith we need to have, brothers. And so, the most important thing to believe this, the most important part of this faith, is that even when you fall, you can pick yourself back up. That when you fall, you get back up. That the righteous may fall seven times, but they'll get back up eight. And so as you continually get up, as you continually get back up, that election is made perfect in you. And that glorification will be sealed in you. So let us pray. Hallelujah. Yahweh, let's sing this song together. What nation is this? Mozambique. Oh, no, no. Eswatini. That's Eswatini. <laughs> Mozambique. Wow, look, it's spiritual warfare. Let us pray. Okay. Though we don't have much time, let's sing powerfully and pray powerfully that God's real comfort will come upon you today. Amen? That I will choose you again. That your glory will be restored. That your power will be restored. That you will be restored. That the glory of the remnant will be restored. Amen. Yahweh. Rapha. Lord, we thank you. Oh, I believe that great works will happen in this conference. And so, Lord, pour out this amazing glory. And may your schedule be perfected in you. Through Zechariah, may a powerful, prophetic anointing be poured out upon them.
as we went through this first conference, as this first session, that Lord be pleased with this offering of this first session and may you unfold the riches of your kingdom. And Lord, may you more officially work in, in the churches and bring about your great works. And that we would rest well tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.